0: On this episode of Location Cubed, we talk about recent economic news and the impact on the real estate industry and the exciting vacations that Howard and I recently took. But before we get to that, if you like what you hear, please hack the Like button's home computer and change all of their complex passwords to Password. Howard, I just got back from Aruba and you got back from Mississippi. Well, how was Mississippi? Hot, steamy, um, but mission accomplished, moving furniture. How was Aruba? At least you didn't end up in Kentucky. Uh, You would have needed a passport to get in and out of there as well, probably. Good point. I'm not sure my driver's license would have worked. Right. Uh, Aruba was uh, uh, nice with the exception of the tropical storm that blew through. Fun fact, uh, the ABC Islands gets a hurricane or a tropical storm probably once every 100 years. And this was the, one of the hundred years that it got a tropical storm. So that threw rain on us for a few days. So you said ABC, what's B and C? That's Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao, also known as the Lower Antilles. Little geography little Caribbean geography lesson, lesson Good deal. for you. Good yeah. deal. A lot of economic news out in the last couple of days, right? J.P. Morgan released their earnings. Fed released the Beige Book today, in fact. And just a flurry of other economic indicators. Let's talk about what that means potentially for real estate. Okay. Um, we've had a lot of conversations with bankers. Last time we were in the studio, we had a really good discussion with Brian Hunt from USI about mm-hmm. just construction economy in general. What are a couple of your takeaways?
1: It's kind of interesting. I think it's maybe, I wanna make sure that we avoid generalizations, especially when you start talking about the Fed and you start talking about JP Morgan, looking at things from say, a national or even a global perspective, is you know, real estate is always still local. And here we are in North Texas, and I'm just not sure that I agree that things are going to be, say, gloom and doom. Um, I think that, um, and I guess I did a little bit of spoiler alert on the gloom and doom there, but I think we have to look at it from the standpoint of each market is going to be a little bit different. And Texas especially, especially North Texas, is going to be very different than a lot of other places just due to the resiliency that we have from the perspective of the economy and
0: people's continued desire to be here. You're a very glass half full kind of a guy. We've known that. And I'm a glass kind of middle of the rim kind of guy right now. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with you that I believe it's going to be very regionally based. Obviously, as you mentioned, real estate always is. However, there's a couple of things in in recent days that have come out that I think um, show that there are some cracks in the facade. And one is home sale contract cancellations which are up considerably over pre-pandemic levels, um, are up over last year. Not an all-time high, it's not great recession type cancellations, but one of the phenomenon that is starting to be seen is that I negotiated a home contract, negotiated at a certain price, but now because rates have started to creep up, I no longer qualify for that mortgage. Right, so I'm going back to the seller, trying to negotiate a price reduction. Sellers are still somewhat unwilling to accept those price reductions. Now, what that means to me is, if I can't qualify for that mortgage product, it tells me that some of those folks may have overextended themselves on those purchases. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, keep in mind that right now, I want to say
1: a more a good mortgage rate is probably around five and a half six percent. Right. Okay. Three months ago, a good mortgage rate was say around three percent. Okay? Right. Okay. Well, if you're buying a house for even for you're financing like a half a million dollars, yeah. which isn't really that much these days. That's three percent, half a million that's fifteen thousand dollars a year extra, if my math is right. Yeah. And that's an extra thousand dollars, a little more than a thousand dollars a month. That's that's not just being overextended before. That's a pretty could be a pretty substantial increase. So it's it's not. Su- I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Um, what I'm really surprised to hear, though, is the fact to the point of, yes, the rates are going down, but there's not any corresponding willingness on the buyer, on the sellers to move, which means that there's still demand from enough people who
0: aren't as mortgage sensitive to want to buy the houses so that the prices are still up. But here's what I think it is is a sign of, okay? If I'm going to get that mortgage, if I'm going to buy that house and I'm trying to push to a certain purchase price, I don't want to use all of my borrowing power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, it's an extra 15 grand a year. Let's say it's 1200 a month or 1500 a month, whatever it is, right? I don't want to have pushed myself to use my maximum borrowing power. I should be a little bit more prudent and still have- Well, that's have, why you're an
1: accountant and right. not
0: part of the general population who and, and, doesn't necessarily always feel that way. And still have the room to perhaps, if I'm really committed to it, and and I think that that is still a sound investment and I'm willing to pay that price because I have faith in the local real estate economy, mm-hmm. I should be willing to then you know, transition some of my other assets, let's say it's cash or investment assets, liquid assets, into that hard real estate asset but I don't even have that room, right? Because I'm not qualifying from an income perspective, which means I've just overshot my my borrowing power.
1: But the thing is the qualification from the income perspective is how much you're borrowing. If you put down a bigger down payment, you can make it. But part of the other problem is that if you have investments in the market, well, they're not doing so great right now. So that diminishes your capability to put down a bigger down payment and therefore still be able to get the house.
0: Well, and I wanna tie something else together psychologically. In my mind, the borrower who is willing to push to the to the absolute nth degree with their borrowing power mm-hmm. is someone who's always also willing to push that borrowing power in other vehicles. And by that I mean credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, whether that be you know your typical Visa Mastercard or the you know, low interest Visa Mastercard that you're getting tied to a specific durable goods purchase or something like that. Um, it's the same borrower who's willing to push their real estate borrowing is also willing to push their consumer credit. What I think it is going to foretell is a potential consumer credit issue that is looming out there somewhere on the horizon. And, and I think there's credibility in it because you've seen in many of the banks that have released earnings, whether it's JPM or others recently, they're starting to reserve for some consumer credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had, we won't name who it is, but we had breakfast with a banker today. And one of the first things is yes, a, a national bank said, we're starting to, to reserve right. for what? Consumer credit, consumer, credit, consumer credit, yeah, yeah, and and I get concerned that you know these indications foretell a consumer a, a coming consumer credit crisis, and you could say, well, what does that have to do with real estate? Well, if wait, there- I'm supposed to say that. What does that have to do with I real know, estate? I know, I know. You're supposed to say, what does that have to do with real estate? It's going to drag on. It'll start to drag on the housing market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it will draw what or, what have been the darlings of real estate, especially in Texas. Multifamily and industrial. Industry. And so the Fed released their Beige Book. And and it doesn't talk about gloom and doom. And bear in mind, the Beige Book is regionally, so it goes through all districts and specifically has a report district by district. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about the real estate market in DFW, right, in the, or just say in the Dallas district, district, in the yep. 11th district, they talk about multifamily. And there's a line in the report you can read. Multifamily and industrial, which could continue to be the darlings of the real estate sector, are starting to slow. So there is evidence of slowing. Well, look at this from an industrial standpoint. If there is a consumer credit pullback, right? I I don't wanna call it a crisis. We'll just say a pullback in consumer credit, a pullback in discretionary spending. Does that drag on industrial? Because what are industrial assets in general, what are the big big industrial? Assets? A lot of maybe it's e-commerce, e-commerce focused. E-commerce. We've talked about that on a lot of other mm-hmm. podcasts ad nauseum. So right. So <laughs> if there's not a demand for e-commerce, there's not a demand to fill those spaces. Right. Does that now impact the overall industrial market? This is the part where you come in and and go glass mm-hmm. half full on me. And I'll, and I'll go maybe. Now um, you're maybe. I'll go maybe. I mean, yeah, you're
1: you're absolutely correct that it's gonna it's gonna have an impact. The question is though. Again, I'm just going to go back to how significant of an impact. I mean, if keeping in mind that the supply chains had been stretched mm-hmm. um, and there's been, you know, in, in incredibly high demand. But I'll also say, have the warehouses been full to begin with? And so let's say you have a little bit less demand. You have the supply chains coming back a little bit. Remember, like we said, remember, we talked about, you know, the start of the the hotter hell. Mm-hmm. It takes half an hour to get across the starting line. Mm-hmm. The supply chains haven't gotten to where they're back to normal. No. So and, and they is, might, is, is and this, this going to be some level of a refreshment <laughs> right. for for industrial to where it's going to fill up the warehouse to where it needs to be, okay. which is maybe which is more than it is, but less than where. But what if it would have been what if, if, if the economy
0: a, would continue? Chugging. What if there isn't consumer demand for those goods? Right, because we're, we're record high inflation, record high wholesale prices. Okay. It, that, it that, again that it goes back to it, depends on, on, that, it goes depends on what you're selling. And, if it's and what's cho- in your warehouse. And if it's a choice between buying meat, eggs, and fish at the grocery store versus buying buying a new phone case or, you know, a, a wallet or a you know a cup or, you know, mm-hmm. a mug, something else that's going to be sitting in that warehouse, well what what am I more prone to spend money on? It depends how old you are. <laughs> okay, good point. I'm talking I'm gonna talk about the average. Let's go to the eighteen to forty five. Let's put it that way. Of course you're gonna spend the money on the groceries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Howard, I actually wanna read something from the Beige Book. Justin, can you just hand me that that paper for a moment? Thank you. So this is directly out of the Fed's Beige Book. Published today, home prices were largely flat. One contact said that lenders were raising capital requirements on new acquisition and development loans, and presumably just land development loans. Several new land deals were on pause due to the rising uncertainty in the market. Outlooks were negative, and sales and start expectations were being revised downward commercial real estate markets are mixed office leasing continues to improve here's a big key activity in the industrial sector remained robust however on the investment side transaction volumes have softened given higher interest rates and increased uncertainty in the economic outlook so talk about the transaction side not not about it in the, so we're not talking existing assets but, transaction volume. Well, before we do that, I do want to go back to what said
1: about office leasing continues to improve. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've talked about that a few times. You know, the discussion of the gloom and doom around the office isn't what well, in, and, office, and in the, our opinion what
0: what a lot of people are expecting right. and the office so, isn't dead right, I mean, right folks are still going so, we're going into offices more now than we were even right. a year ago right. but i just want to make that point no no um, and, and so, so you were a <laughs> prognosticator on that how everyone howard was right he made one prediction it came true he was right keep in mind this will be the only time you ever hear rob say something like that you were you're one for 200.
1: <laughs> so with respect to the transactions that's not surprising at all um, Interest rates are going up. I mean that's the that's the first mm-hmm. the first thing. So obviously when the interest rates go up, you know almost every single real estate loan is based on variable pricing. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to cost more. So what you proform it out with an expectation of, you know, LIBOR at 0.5%, now looking at LIBOR at say 2% or SOFR at 3% or whatever number you're using as your base, mm-hmm. your numbers are going to be completely different. You talk, you start, you work on that. Also, from a development standpoint, you add on construction costs and the uncertainty around that. All of a sudden, what looked like a slam dunk deal, because you know you have these big online resellers are buying properties like there's no tomorrow. You've got a lot of demand. You've got low cap rates. You've got low interest rates. It's hard to mess up. Um, but now you end up with the higher interest rates, you end up with the higher building costs, you end up with potentially higher cap rates. We'll see how that all goes. Mm-hmm. You know, marginal deals aren't going to work as well. Um, and so it's going to be, an, I think, going to be to an extent a flight to quality. Yep. I think it's going to continue to be a flight to infill locations. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, the big business park out in the suburbs, that's not going to be, it's not going to suffer, but you're not going to have the level of growth that you will with, you know, the 300,000 square foot buildable lot in the middle of the city where you can do a lot of last mile logistics. You know, the one thing that we as consumers have gotten used to, whether we're spending a lot or spending a little, we're still used to getting it now. And even with the supply chain, you know, we're still frustrated when we don't get stuff as fast as we feel we should. I think we've abated our expectations to some point. But that is no way going to take away any of the need for the info location, the last mile delivery, and the opportunity to still get consum- get goods into consumers' hands quickly, especially if you start getting into perishable goods, like groceries, where you, know, you almost need to have it within an hour, otherwise you're going to have potential
0: problems. So I want to piggyback on something you said about interest rates, cap rates. This is from the financial services description or financial services overview of the Beige Book. Again, 11th District, we're talking about effectively about our region, right? We're talking about DFW. Loan volume growth moderated over the past six weeks amid broad increases in loan pricing. Okay, no no surprise. Growth was strongest in commercial real estate, followed by commercial and industrial lending. Okay, so we're you know, we're back to industrial. And they considered multifamily to be part of commercial in this context. Residential real estate loan volumes were flat for the second consecutive reporting period after two solid years of solid growth. Is that residential in terms of Single family. So that's going to be residential, single family, not not single family rental, right, or and multi- not multi and not multifamily. Okay. okay. Non-performing loans continue to decrease overall, though an uptick was seen in consumer and auto loans. In other words, mm-hmm. non-performing consumer and auto loans. Remember mm-hmm. what I said about the, the pending consumer yeah, credit yeah, crisis. Yeah. Credit standards and terms tighten notably. You would expect that as a reaction. We can't you know give out fast and loose credit terms forever. Looking six months ahead, contacts expect that general business activity and loan demand will decrease and non-performing loans will increase. I think that's all again in response to higher rates and perhaps consumers overextending themselves on credit. So there's, the jury is probably still out on how this will ultimately impact the multifamily and industrial space.
1: But, but I'll also say, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll switch over to multifamily for a second. and you still got to look at the fundamentals. And you got to think about this too, is your point where you mentioned the fact that there's been increased cancellations Mm -hmm. on home loans. Well, that means basically someone who is going to buy a house and move out of an apartment or buy a house and move out of a single family rental isn't. So is that going to continue to create, it's going to be a little bit inverse. Mm -hmm. If people can't, buy houses because they can't get qualified for loans, are they going to stay where they are in apartments or single family rentals? So from that standpoint, those are probably going to be good places to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we gotta, we gotta look at that. I think the other factor that we need to consider, and we were talking about this back the week when Brian was here, was how are the banks set up right now? Are they, you know, what's their financial condition? How are they doing with their stress tests? Because If we're looking at a situation where things are going to start going downhill and the regulators are going to be taking a hard look and the banks themselves are going to be taking a hard look, are they in a position where they're going to be needing to trim their portfolios, especially on a real estate side, commercial real estate side, or do they have enough cushion to where they can kind of go, this might not be a long recession if it's a recession and work our way through it? Because again, the the issue with real estate is always going to be about liquidity. You know, the value is always going to be there in the long run. So the question is if the, if the borrowers for the commercial real estate don't get squeezed by the lenders, if they're able to refinance when the refinancing time is up, if they're able to get an interest rate instrument to protect themselves from rising rates, if they're able to maintain that liquidity to hold on to the asset, then you're not gonna see the need, you're not gonna see the distress selling. And yes, while values may go down because of cap rates going up and liquidity going down to an extent, you're not gonna see it falling off a cliff, Mm -hmm. like say we did in 2008 when liquidity dries up and everybody who had a property was like stuck. So I think that's gonna be the bigger question here is not so much, is there going to be a recession? Is there going to be a decrease in values? I think that's probably a given. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, how much? And I think a lot of that's gonna be driven by, again, the capital markets, the lending environment, and to what extent are people gonna be pushed, or borrowers I should say, gonna be pushed
0: into distress situations or not, mm-hmm. is gonna probably be the bigger factor more than anything. Uh, so how do you think some of the input prices are going to, going to impact the overall market? Um, there's There seems to be a little bit of a labor issue that's mm-hmm. um, not regional, this is not an 11th district issue, at least not according to the Beige Book. This is a, a United States issue couple of interesting tidbits here. According to a June Dallas Fed survey, more than 300 Texas business executives, wages on average are expected to rise in an above average pace, both for the remainder of 2022 and into 2023. This is offset, however, by the inability of firms to find labor in what is presumably an increasingly tight labor market. So where are we gonna get the people to actually do the work? And this is something we talked about with Brian again last week is, great we have a project we have financing but now what happens when our labor component of that project right our budget is now blown because we have wages that are up in some cases 40 percent 30 percent and I mean these are real numbers that are, are coming from fed contacts what does that do to our I mean it's obviously going to impact our cost of construction how does that impact that how does that impact our project go forward
1: well again it goes back to what do you pro forma out how
0: much are you going to get in rent um, for the project. So I I knew you were gonna say that. Firms are increasingly having trouble passing on these Mm -hmm. increases to their customers. In in this case, again, it's talking about real estate customers being tenants. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can raise your rents to a certain point to pass those costs on and recover the cost of that project over a shorter period of time. But at some point, there's going to be a ceiling upon which those rents are going to hit. Uh, you know you're going to hit up against, and you're, yeah. you're specific. You're just not going to be able to find a tenant willing to to rent at that rate.
1: In which case, then if you want to if you want to continue with the deal or to do the deal, then you're going to potentially have
0: to accept a lower return. Right, and I think Hence that's the higher cap rates. So I think I think that's really where where the issue comes to is I, I have to understand that the, the days of those of those cap rates of, of yesterday's cap rates are not the cap rates of tomorrow
1: true but the question then becomes a matter of and this is going to be way outside of our realm but the question becomes what is going to be an appropriate cap rate what are investors willing to accept and you know where that might become challenging from a real estate perspective if an investor is looking to go well if i'm going to get if i was going to get 16 percent back in 2020 and now i'm going to get 12 percent, is that worth it especially if you have fresh money and you go, the market is down so much, am I oh. going to
0: get 12% in the stock market right. with a much less risky and potentially yeah. a risky investment uh, so to, I, to, to I, cover that? So I'll come back and be the glass half full person. Okay. What else am I going to do with my money, right? I'm, I'm going to put it into probably the most stable asset that I can, which is? The bank. Generally, Well, I was going to say real <laughs> estate. Um, so I think the question becomes, you know, what's the alternative use of your capital? I can invest the money in the stock market, I can invest the money in real estate. If if I have a thought that you know, real estate, you know, the trend—I guess I'm going in the wrong direction. You know, the trend might be a little bit more gradual of a rise, whereas the market can be a little bit sharper of a rise once the the uh, economic recovery hits. You know, assuming that right. that we have to be in a recovery following a recession, um, you know, then there is that decision to be made: Am I better off in the stock market versus real estate? But. Um, you know, what is over time? What's the more stable asset class? Is it is it equities or is it real estate? Again, it goes back to what's your time horizon.
1: Yeah. It goes back to how much do you have to invest? Because to, to to the great the great majority of people, they don't necessarily have the resources to invest in real estate outside of yeah. their own home. Um, and then the other part is, is do you have the liquidity to hold on when things
0: start to go go bad? And sometimes, but, well, sometimes being a liquid is a good thing, because I can't just sell. I, I can't, have a fi- I, can't, to I have too. to hold, yeah. I can't have a fire sale just because the world seems like it's on fire. Right? Right. right. I can't just liquidate the portfolio.
1: But, but what I will say from everything I've been reading recently is that where the next hot area is not going to be startups and private equity. You know, we're starting to hear about the private equity winter. I've been reading a few articles about that. And a lot of the PE firms are basically saying, telling their portfolio companies, hey, hold on, hold on, sit tight, hold on, preserve your cash. You're hearing all the stories, especially in the tech world, people getting laid off, offers getting rescinded, things like that. And I know we're dealing with people who, it's going back to the job market. I know we're not dealing with people who are going to be you know, working at the grocery store necessarily, but is this the start of maybe the labor market will be cooling off at some point in the near future and getting back to
0: whatever normal is? But I think it's a type of labor too. Skilled labor, and I'm talking skilled labor, and I'm, I'm I'm talking about your engineers, your carpenters, electricians, you know, folks who are mm-hmm. qualified to run CNC machines and things like mm-hmm. that. More of a skilled labor as opposed to I hate to say, it in our case, a, an accountant or a financial analyst. I think yeah, we're not skilled. No, I, well, <laughs> we are, but I think there, there's two economies there. There's a very highly of skilled course, labor course. labor force, and there is a skilled labor force. That is not as technically skilled as as those and, t- as, those, then, as I'm going to say the, those line assembly technology right. workers. And then there's the third labor force, which is basically
1: would be the unskilled labor force, which is what almost everybody interacts with every day. Right. Which we all can tell is hurting because you know right. anywhere you go, there's not people working like there used to be.
0: And, not only for Not as many people working as there used to be. And you know, again, one of the things that we've talked about is you know, where is that pool of labor going to come from? Where do those highly unskilled, untrained workers come from? I've got Usually. a few ideas,
1: but I don't want to get into a
0: political discussion. This isn't the, no, this isn't a political <laughs> discussion. It's very interesting. There, there's a book I read years ago called "The Next Hundred Years," and I can't remember the author, but it's a fantastic book. And what the author did is he he broke down from two thousand. 20 year by 20 year increments, what he thought the US and the world would look like. And the one thing that he prognosticated, this is back in 2002, 2003, when the book was written, is that we are going to be fighting a war for unskilled labor in the world. And folks will actually be inviting immigration into their country because those folks who come in, generally, they want to make a living, they want to earn a wage, they want to work hard and they fill a labor category that is the least skilled labor. The next evolution is going to be we want to attract the skilled labor folks who have developed a skill in another factory, in another production capacity in another country, but we need that skilled labor in the United States. So there are going to be some changes in our geopolitical philosophy. There will need to be changes in our political uh, uh, philosophy uh, 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 to ar- get to that point. Right, Agreed. around Agreed. things like immigration. That's not a political statement. Yeah, yeah. This is a capital markets statement. Yeah, we think. need labor in order to drive this country. And you know, when you and I go to a restaurant, and this happened to us what a couple of weeks ago. We were out to dinner with a colleague, and the the restaurant uh, manager had said they were only operating at about eighty yeah, yeah. percent capacity. And I and I said, well, is this still a COVID thing that you know you want to keep people socially distanced? And they said, no, we'd pack tables in here if we could. We don't <laughs> have the ha- staff. We don't mm-hmm. have the staff that we can train. And this is just a
1: restaurant. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, my wife and I went to to dinner one night at a neighborhood restaurant. We put our name on the. It was you know on a Sunday night at seven or
0: something. Not, it, a, not it, a busy time. It better time. not have been Flying Fish.
1: No, it wasn't Flying Fish. Okay. And um, we put our name on, it, and not a busy time, it was like 40 minute wait. It's like, what the? We get there, well, after our 40 minute wait, mm-hmm. we get there and I should say we did the call ahead. Yeah. And half the restaurant's empty because they didn't. they had a lot of workers that didn't show up that day. And so you got all these tables that they can't serve people at, so they had to limit how many people were in.
0: I hate to tell you, that's not a US problem. So when I was on vacation, foreign country, yeah. on an island where the unemployment rate is incredibly low, if you want a job, you've got a job, but we we'll walk into a number of restaurants that can't accommodate a full dining room. And they it was like being back in Dallas. They said the same thing. We can't accommodate a full table or a full, a full restaurant because we don't have enough folks to work. Yeah. That And that was not only, you know, bussers and waiters, waitresses, maitre d's, but it's kitchen staff. Right. It's janitorial staff. It's sort of the supply chain of the labor industry. All those jobs that need to be infilled, they can't find. And this is on a very small island where everybody can have a job if everybody wants a job. Become, again, it goes back to it's the new normal. We've been, have
1: we been spoiled with, again, the low interest rates, the cheap money, the plentiful labor that we've always had in the past to where we can get anything we want, wherever we want, whenever we want. You know, maybe it's the new normal is going to be something that was normal back twenty, thirty years ago, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. We have we have gotten spoiled as a society, as an economy, to have what we want when we want versus having to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the Amazon of the the Amazon effect on society. I want it today, I'm going to get it today, exactly. or I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it delivered in two days. Right. It's hard to believe we ever lived in a different world.
1: Yeah, and I also remember, you know, speaking of hard to believe, that we actually had to get up to change the channel on the TV. Uh, Okay, that would
0: have been me. (laughs) How old are you?
1: Old enough that we didn't have remote that I was the remote control for my dad. I
0: would go change the channel. It was probably the two little buttons, (laughs) the UHF and then then the little little button at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I got you. And the rabbit ears. (laughs) Okay, that, that, that went out in the 60s.
1: I don't remember that far back. Oh my goodness.
0: Okay. That's about all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Location Cubed. If you like what you heard, a reminder, track down the like button, hack their home computer, and change all of their complex 14-digit passwords to simply the word password. This was Location Cubed.